does it have a harpsichord in it it does have a harpsichord in it daniel and andrew wilson who i've worked with on the monument mythos multiple times they're so talented in terms of video editing and uh, music so so good thank you so much uh it was worth every penny and god i can't wait to use that all the time hello awesome it was so good so good (laughs) i'm so thrilled um, hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we look back through all of human history and bring you examples of utter, unimaginable stupidity and give you lessons that you can take from those mistakes and never repeat them again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We love fucking up. It's it's so fun. It's apparently yes. on a weekend, it's really fun as well. So that's that's been my fucking weekend. But, oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't go into that. <laughs> Uh, joining me as ever is my amazing co-host Derek. Derek, my man, how are you doing right now? I am good. I'm yeah, good. and you know what? Uh, I I made a mess up here recently. Possibly, oh, yeah? maybe I don't know. I might have to wait to say anything. But okay. I made a purchase uh, based on advertisements targeting me on, uh, I believe it was Instagram. Holy I bought shit. a product, and it may be total not real i know they hit me up and said it's gonna take another like six weeks Um, or something but i'm not gonna mention it until they officially are a scam (laughs) i'm always (laughs) wary of stuff uh when it's advertised on instagram and youtube because they seem to have the dodgiest fucking products and also usually you can get cheaper somewhere else but yeah i've bought one or two things from instagram not afraid to admit it and um it was okay one of them doesn't fit me anymore because it was it arrived as an extra large, but it was actually a medium. So ah. that's that's not good. Toasterzoid, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you with us. I'm also good. Thank you for asking, Toasty. We always know you're good. <laughs> you're always good. Um, so yeah, what did you buy? Was it like it was some clippers that should have uh you're supposed to give you a perfect fade. <gasps> right. Have you okay. seen it? So, uh, have you, have you seen those I, ads? I've seen similar ads. I, I usually get like, um, like sign. Elon Musk has launched a new uh, prod, a uh, new app, and everyone's making money on it. I'm like, fuck off! No, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Instagram ad scam. Say it ain't so, Kimberly. Hey, it might be so, but we'll just wait and see. Is it like, like the you know? Because I see a lot of adverts for the ball trimming ones. Oh no, <laughs> those things. The manscaper, yeah, legit. That one's real. Got yeah, that. that one's that one's real. I've seen reviews where they've said it's not powerful enough to do an effective job, and you need something that's essentially going to shear a fucking sheep if you want it, to use it in the place they're fighting. Well, if you're growing a woolly mammoth down there, yeah, yeah. 
You know, if you're going seventies <laughs> with that shit, yes, you'll oh. need that. But yeah, just get some like hedge trimmers. Just you know, chop away. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll wait and see. We'll give you the results. Derek's Instagram ad inspired purchase next time. I suspect I can't wait to see what happens. Six weeks. We need it. It might even be longer than that, according Fuck to me. what I've read on Reddit. That's crazy. Yeah, I wish I would have read Reddit first. Is there like an old man with like multiple like zoomed in things just building it by hand, like one piece at a time? Well, like, I think it's coming slowboat from Hong Kong. So yeah, that wasn't what it was supposed it to, to be a doing. seagull or something, and <laughs> sending it that way. Fucking so, yeah, yeah. I made a mistake. Learn from mine. Yes. Well, we'll see. It may not be a mistake. It may be the greatest purchase of all time. Um, yes. But we'll just have to wait and see. I, I feel like social media platforms particularly instagram i do see it on tiktok sometimes but they're less like stuff focused at me because it's all gen z focused but yeah tiktok and youtube there are so many scam adverts on that platform hi youtube viewers um that I'm, <laughs> I'm amazed they make money because they're so like the fake games and the gambling oh. shit i get bam i get bombarded by gambling adverts they must be like oh he's a man of a certain age right let's send him a shitload of gambling stuff no don't encourage me to gamble i have an addictive personality that's not a good thing jesus yeah, no well it's see and that's the thing is if it's targeting you and your yeah. personality is uh that's almost predatory it's very hmm. predatory craftsmanship takes time kimberly it absolutely does what's and this i've been getting furry bait ads on youtube there there are adverts for furries that did say furry, not fury, right? Let me just double check that. Yeah, furry bait ads. Okay. Didn't realize there were furry adverts. Didn't know oh. there was something that really advertised. Uh, I'm not even going to ask. No. Like, is it advertising the lifestyle or the things? that? Never mind. It's fine. Um, so, Derek, we've got a couple of interesting ones this week. I, I'm really excited to cover mine. Derek, who is your idiot for this episode? Okay. Well... <clears throat> Every one of us makes decisions every day, and a large portion of those decisions are wrong. I mean, we should face that. And we fail in some way or another, pick ourselves mm -hmm. up, learn from it if you're smart, and exactly. try again. It's not a big deal unless maybe you're the CEO of a media empire and your bad decisions can have an impact on your company. Oh, uh, the guy I have for you today is Gerald M. Levin or Levin Levin. OK, born on May 6th, 1939 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to a Jewish family of Russian and Romanian origins. His father was a butter and eggs man. I'm getting this straight from Wikipedia. <laughs> butter uh, and eggs what, man. Yeah, the I didn't know what it was. So I had, I had to go look. Hey, buddy, have a butter and eggs, man. You want your butter and eggs? No, I'll go next door. Hey, lady, you want your butter and eggs? What <laughs> that? that is what I had in my mind when I read that. But according to Miriam Webster, it's a free spender or wealthy investor or a oh. naive and prosperous businessman. So like a right. Timothy Dexter. Okay, yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. Uh, his th This guy, Gerald's mother, taught piano. So his dad's out mm. there, butter and eggs salesman or whatever. Sorry, his mom's teaching piano and he's coming from a, a moderately well-to-do family growing up in the suburbs of Philly. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. The 40s. Yeah, well, Philly so... was probably not a nightmare in the 40s. 
No, no, I'd imagine. I'd imagine. Well, I, I quite like Philly, but yeah, I get what you mean. Um, <laughs> I've been there. Uh, yeah, I think um, we're probably talking like post-war. So the like, the prosperity of the suburbs is really starting to kick in at this point. So yeah, he'll have had a, a really wonderful life in the suburbs at that time. Well, and here's the weird thing about this. The more that I dove into this and wrote, the more that I'm like, man, I really like this guy. He was generally like a genius, but here we go he did well in school graduated top of his class and a member of the honor society from haverford college in Mm. 1960 three years later he received his law degree from the university of pennsylvania and right off the bat you get the idea that he's a smart guy he's working hard to make it in life maybe started uh, upper level but he's still making good decisions he's still uh just doing good stuff. And honestly, right. for most of his career, his legacy, you would think, would be a genius in cable TV and broadcasting. He he graduates from law school, uh, immediately goes to work for Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett. And before you ask, it's Thatcher, T-H-A-C-H-E-R, not like the former PM over there. Yeah, good, because I was going to spit then. <laughs> <laughs> I um, spit so- on the ground. He starts out working in corporate law, focusing mostly on mergers and acquisitions. That's important because it's a merger and acquisition that he does later on that landed him on my list. Because without that, his legacy was pretty good. Because of it, it was not. Wow. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to point out as well, um, people may have seen my eyes go massive for a second there that wasn't in reference to what Derek was saying I was sorting out our social media I was posting that we're live on Twitter and when I did that I saw that Liverpool who I knew were playing Manchester United today just beat them 7-0 that never fucking happens so I was like (laughs) I'm gonna destroy my friend next week sorry carry on please tell me more about this idiot oh I lost track of where I was though (laughs) um So, yeah, he's a lawyer, mergers and acquisitions. In 1972, he goes to work for the Sterling Cable Network, which, through his guidance, becomes HBO. Heard of him? Uh, Sort of. Yeah, Yeah. sort of. (laughs) He's named the president and CEO of HBO in 1973 after he successfully demonstrated the possibilities of a subscription-based broadcast service. Using a test run when he found out there was a microwave link being shot into like central Pennsylvania. So he got like a high speed transmission broadcast, uh, the basis of uh, what is it, modern day cable, I guess? Yeah, 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 and essentially. Yeah, from there, he's able to actually persuade the board to lease a transponder space on a satellite, Ooh. and then nationwide broadcasting is born. So, wow, it's this guy. Brilliant That's decision. amazing. Holy shit. <laughs> like, that is a, a, a milestone in the history of like culture, really. Yeah, Nationwide the, broadcasting? That's incredible. It's the first national cable network, and it's still one of the industry's most profitable, HBO is. Oh, HBO is incredible. Um, I mean, if you talk about a run of good form in terms of your output, I don't think you can really match HBO for about 30 years. They've been knocking it out of the park, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and it it's kind of based on the the revolutionary ideas and forward thinking that he ingrained mm-hmm. into the culture there, uh, this Gerald. 
honestly. So uh, maybe he's not so much of an idiot, uh, well, according to, sure to it. According to like the HBO people at the time, they called him the resident genius. Well, that and that's wonderful. That's really it, complimentary. It is. And then they promoted him in 1976 to chairman of the HBO board and vice president of time. Wow. And at the same time, he was uh, appointed group vice president for video and oversaw the American Television and Communications Corporation, HBO, Time Life Films, and all the rest of their video interests. He's mixing oh, wow. cable and television movies. Yeah. God damn. Working this... for Time Inc. Yeah. at the time mm -hmm. and HBO. Mm -hmm. You might realize that in the 1980s, he merged Time Warner. That's right. Holy shit. Huge. Massive company. Yeah. It's hard for us to demonstrate to people who weren't around for the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s just how big Time Warner was as a company back then. And then they merged with AOL later on down the road, and everything that's, went to shit. <laughs> that's actually the merger that lands him on that list. Yeah! great okay <laughs> so um as i said you make the decisions you make failures throughout mm -hmm. the 1980s he actually had a bunch of high profile projects that bombed including teletext which was a service that was designed to deliver on-demand news via your cable yeah we actually had that in this country from the 1970s all the way until about 2008 and it was, I remember my family booking holidays on Teletext. That's how useful and popular it was. Everyone used it. But, you know, I can even remember that like 303 was the football scores page. Like, it's crazy. And it was hugely successful, but I guess it didn't translate. Not here, no. It mm. ended up costing time roughly 35 million before it ended. That's a lot so, of money in the 80s. He also, like I said, came up with the subscription TV mm -hmm. that lost uh, Time Inc. as much as a hundred million dollars. Sure. And worse than that, he was involved with movies. Remember, he uh, made a deal with TriStar Pictures that left the uh, time investment in films uncapped. So no matter oh my how God. much the film ran over budget, Time picked <laughs> up the cost. They ended what up paying fuck? almost a third of the cost of uh, TriStar Pictures during that period of time. That's so, so stupid. Yeah, he makes some bad decisions. <laughs> but despite those setbacks, uh, in 1988, on his recommendation, the company merged with Warner Communications, which is like the subsidiary of Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, and that happened in 1989. It became official. And he becomes the vice chairman of the Time Warner uh, group in 1990. Wow. He kind of made a mess of things a little bit, but still befriended uh, influential executives and cheerleaded the merger of the company. It, it, it's looked at as successful. I mean, it, it created a huge multi-conglomerate company that ran a media empire and influenced so much. Wow, yeah. <laughs> um, it just, yeah, it's absolutely up. massive. Ooh. Hey, we've got... We've got an ad bot talking. Yeah, to that's pretty cool. cool. I've just told in the chat the fuck right off. Oh, that's um, fun. Yeah. Um, anyway, where was I? 1996. Uh, he he pushes for Time Warner to acquire Turner Broadcasting or TBS. Right. Yeah. 
Turner Broadcasting, Huge. CBS. Yeah. Huge Massive. move. Changes yeah. the game for cable television and oh, yeah. uh, network. Uh, what is it? Cable, cable news networks mm. blow up. Yeah. And Ted Turner. Someone else who is a very interesting case study I may cover him in time, man who was obsessed with colorizing films and who was part of cable news and also the backer for World Championship Wrestling, WCW. And um, yeah, he got on the phone to Vince McMahon one day and said, hey, Vince, I wanted to call you and tell you we're in the wrestling business now. And Vince <laughs> said, oh, that's great because we're in the entertainment business and hung up. So uh, and it ended up costing him one year. They they made a loss of sixty two million dollars. Just WCW, not TBS. That fucking that one promotion lost oh, sixty two wow. million dollars. Yeah. So, hmm. well, <laughs> Ted Turner is an interesting case study. He took some big gambles, but TBS was a powerhouse for a while. It was, and then it didn't. Mm. It continued to grow like TBS and the Time Warner. Com combined merger kind of just it, it blows everything up it mm. is um i'm lost i lost where i'm at i'm just <laughs> making stuff up now just so you guys know um it was let's see he merges time warner and then tragedy strikes there we are 1997 his son mm. uh, a popular high school english teacher in the bronx new york was murdered oh, it, no. by his his students there were a couple by of his students. students yeah there was a couple of students that got the idea in their head when he mentioned who his dad was that they had money so they kind of like kidnapped him tortured him got his pin and ended up murdering him for $800 oh my god that's awful it wow. it kind of i think changed the way that uh, Mr. Levin was thinking about stuff he kind of became a little bit of a different man according to what i was looking into afterwards and mm. for the first two months following his loss of his son, he stayed out of the office, thought about quitting and um, started making more emotional based decisions. Right. I think it's worth pointing out at this point that sometimes big name, high level executives, they, they tend to be in a situation where they're so successful for so long that they're surrounded by yes men and they feel like they can't do any wrong but also because they've been success so successful and they've got a bit of an ego they tend to do these uh like kind of huge deals that will either ruin the company or make them millions because they've done it successfully so many times but the chances of you doing it continuously for your entire career are basically zero and they never heed that they never stop so that coupled with this really horrible tragedy is probably going to make him a less than effective executive. And it, it does. He starts mm. hanging out more and more with his his friend and uh, CEO of a company called America Online. Uh, it was, uh, was really starting to take off at the time. Mm. It was the powerhouse among Internet service providers. It was pretty much the only thing you used with them, MSN maybe. Yeah, I, I, we even had AOL in the UK. I didn't pay for internet for fucking years because of those discs they used to send out that you could. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> They'd God, send out. Discs. You you people, uh, if you're young, you may not realize this. AOL was the pretty much the game in town for internet service providers in the States and some, some parts of the UK for a while. And they would send out CDs that would like include 
like prepayment to the internet essentially for like a certain period of time and i had hundreds of them so <laughs> even though it was only dial up and you could only spend time in a chat room or play runescape or whatever you would fucking you know never pay for the internet nobody could use the phone at the same time no but, but no, that was <laughs> yeah. sorry does this mean we can annex the uk uh i mean aol effectively did for a short period of time uh with their internet service providers but yeah no you couldn't yeah if your mother wanted to use the phone and uh, or your dad or whatever because people still use the house phone back then um they had to tell you to get off the internet you'd oh yeah or you'd pick whatever. up the phone and listen to that horrendous evil Beeping. Oh God! Like, worse than a car alarm. That shit. And now people find it soothing. Like, oh, nostalgia. I'm like, no, that is the stuff of nightmares. Man, I was watching. And uh, spoiler alert for anybody that watches Special Forces uh, on one of these network television stations. Stupid, dumb reality television that I <laughs> wandered into, uh, where celebrities quote mm. quotey fingers uh, go through Special Forces training. Okay. Uh, one of the last things, though, they they're in this room, and uh, Danny Amendola from the New England Patriots football player. Right. It, spoiler alert! Plug your ears. Um, he, he ends <laughs> up quitting like five hours before the end of the whole damn thing because no. he's in a dark room with a bag over his head and the uh, dial-up modem noise just blasting, <laughs> intermixed with screaming babies and shit. <laughs> Oh. oh my god, they were torturing him. That's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. Some of that, to be honest, uh, a quiet room with a bag over my head, like that first part, I was like, oh, I could do with some of that. That sounds really quite relaxing to me. But yeah, Sensory crying babies death. and the internet noise. No, thanks. No. <laughs> I, oh. I want Ooh. to see a movie about an evil AI, but the AI runs on dial-up internet. That, Toasterzoid, pitch it. I swear to God someone will make that and make it's it work. This... That sounds great. The slowest takeover of the mankind slowest ever. ever. Oh my God, Skynet's gone gone live. Uh, we've got time. It's all right. Anyone want to get lunch? Uh, we could be here for hours. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, oh, please carry on I? with... Yeah, AOL Time Warner. He's hanging out with the AOL dudes. Yes, and at that time, AOL is valued at over $200 billion. Fuck me. Which is oh nuts. Yeah. So, um, he's thinking... I've been at the forefront of all the advances in television technology. I see this. He sees the emerging internet tech as a way to change the game. And I don't think he was wrong there. He definitely wasn't. But his desired Desire. outcome wasn't yeah. good. And I think partly it's because of the company that he went after mm. instead of waiting for other options. And because of his timing, the timing was shit. Cause if you yeah. remember there was the, the dot com bubble. Oh yeah. Yeah. That battered. He Everything. was going into AOL right at the same time as the dot-com bubble was getting ready to burst. So this yeah. $200 billion valuation is pretty much bullshit. Yeah, it's like <laughs> down to less than like probably less than 10 million by the end of like by three years down the line. It was a crazy collapse and oh, long proportions. Huge, huge. Yeah. And what he doesn't see it coming. He no. announces the merger. It makes headlines. The The merged company would surpass all others in communication as far as its reach and holdings. Oh, yeah. But because America Online was the higher valued company, hmm. they ended up with a 55% share 
uh, of the company. So it was AOL Time Warner. That's right. Yeah. And, and um, was, yeah. sorry, go on. No, I was going to say it was because of that that they tanked and exactly. almost collapsed a media empire. Yeah. Actually, it's it's really interesting because the AOL executives that came on board as well weren't super knowledgeable about specific media kind of entities and the the inherent value they had so um <laughs> there's a story and sorry to go back to wrestling again but there's a, a an executive who worked for AOL called Jamie Kellner who was um appointed uh, when WCW had lost the 62 million dollars and Ted Turner was like oh my god i need to get rid of this fucking thing um <laughs> that he he was brought on board to sell it and at that point i think Vince McMahon and the WWF at the time came in with an offer that was, I think it was about 15 million, something like that. Something like where you're like, all right, well, that's, you know, we're, we're hemorrhaging money. It's something. But Kellner takes the decision to cancel WCW television programming and then sell the company. So they've lost their slot. And the thing that makes them an attractive proposition because they've got advertising revenue coming in from a nationally televised audience you cancel that and then sell them. And Kevin Nash, who was a wrestler for WCW at the time, was Diesel and stuff, smart guy, huge, actually quite nice when I spoke to him. Um, he said, it's like owning a house that's worth half a million dollars but needs like $100,000 spending on it to bring it up to like the value properly. Right. right? But in <laughs> instead of spending the 100000 and bring it up to standard, you burn the house down and then you sell the land for $250,000 because WCW was eventually sold to Vince McMahon and the WWF after the cancellation of the TV slot for $2.5 million. But crazy. We've talked about how Vince McMahon is. I mean, he's shit with money, but that... I mean, the, it was funny because when Chris Jericho said when he found out how little money WCW, the company, had been sold for, he was like, fuck me i wish i'd done that because like the the library alone of previous stuff and the merchandise rights to the nwo shirts he was like i could have made that back in a year well, he still had did he, he still, still had tv access with his wwf right yes so he did he, he had to that right into that yeah he and he tried to do that it fucked up badly but he just integrated the two products eventually into in he just brought the guys into his company eventually but it was such a stupid mistake that it could only be done by somebody who had no idea of how a media company works and where the value is in the property itself and he just it was just like oh it's losing we can get something with better ratings let's just cancel it it had been on the same network for like 10 years you don't just cancel something out of the blue like that and that was it that was the end of the company and that was the problem with AOL. They were surrounded by people who didn't necessarily know what environment they were in or what they were doing with it. Right. Yeah. And the the whole culture of AOL and <laughs> Time Warner wasn't really compatible either. No. There was infighting and pushbacks. And it, I think it took their eye off the ball, too, because at the yeah. same time, as AOL was losing value, there was broadband providers starting to pop up. Yeah. And and Levin's idea of trying to push internet through his speedy cable network pipes was brilliant, but they didn't yes. get to it. They stayed the course mm -hmm. and they 
eventually became a $350 billion company, but lost $200 billion in market. Uh, just it's anyway, shortly after the merger takeover or whatever you want to call it, AOL started losing that money. The mm. subscription revenue was, was drying up. Ad revenue was dying up, uh, drying up at the same mm. time. The media industry was hitting a bit of a slump in advertising yep. spending. Mm-hmm. And then 9-11 hit. Yeah. And everything dried up. Yep. And um, that that led uh, Levin to basically spend his last year with the company uh, trying to talk Wall Street into believing they could pay back their, their debts and meet their targets. And mm. uh, the banks wouldn't call in the loans. And instead, he abruptly de- retires in December of 2001, which mm-hmm. left a lot of people kind of pissed off. He said it was to focus on personal things. He, I mean, kind of his son that. had just died yeah. or, or was murdered and tortured. Yeah. So many Understandable. people, they kind of believe, though, that he lost a battle to extend his contract past 2003 and kind of the backstory on, 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 on Levin is that through all of these mergers that he was doing, uh, time Warner, time Warner, Mm. uh, Turner broadcast network, he was engineering and orchestrating a lot of executives departures from those companies. And some people just figured it was karma that crept up on him. Yeah. It's Robert's Pierre all over again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So man again, by 2002, the bubble popped. The merger was disastrous. Everything fell apart. And Levin disappeared from public sight for around five years. Yeah, that's right. 2007, he pops back up as the presiding director of Moonview Moonview Sanctuary, which is like a holistic oh. healing institute. Oh, wow. Total departure, but it's yeah. run by his wife, a clinical psychologist. Oh, good. I believe okay. it's still doing well. Oh, no good time for Warner, them. But... Yeah, well, it's no time Warner, but it's a pretty decent retirement nest egg. It's he couldn't stay out of media, though. Oh, no. 2013, he's named the char- the start- blah, blah, the chairman of startup called Elation Media. Elation they raised media. around $150,000 to launch a live and on-demand service with programming topics on alternative medicine, world peace, visionary art, personal growth, and the environment. And as far as I can tell, it still hasn't launched. Oh. 10 years later. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. But so from perhaps the most powerful media executive in the world to landing on the list of worst American CEOs of all time, uh, I think this makes a, a perfect example, a perfect lesson that people yeah. can make mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes can land you on history's greatest idiots. <laughs> if if you're I, running a company and and run it right into the ground. Oh yeah, and um, almost, co- uh, yeah, colossal downfall. It's um, it's such an interesting one. This because we talk about the balance of like, oh well, they didn't kill anyone, or they achieved so much, but then they did this. This guy gets so many points knocked off for like the innovations and stuff. And also he's definitely, or at least at one point, probably before he, you know, burned out, he was a futurist. He saw the future coming 
And I remember, so when I worked in radio, I went to a conference in London, and it was 2005. And the keynote speaker was a guy called, and his name's completely gone from my head. Um, he created Classic FM, Ralph Bernard. That's, that's his okay. name. Um, Classic FM is, for those who don't know, it's the most commercially successful radio station in all of Europe and has been for 25 years. They just play classical music over and over again, and they make shitloads of money. It's unbelievable. Um, mm. I know. There's, <laughs> there's a business there. Uh, and, yeah, he was doing a speech, and he was saying, in the next 10 to 15 years, there won't be satellite providers of any real substantial you know, place in the market. It'll be taken over by broadband, and you'll get all of your entertainment and all of your uh, viewing through broadband and that is the future and i was just like listen to this fucking <laughs> what what does he think he is like that that 10 megabytes a second you're fucking kidding me that shit and lo and behold three years later you know netflix starts to become a real player and oh, yeah. he's proven 100 right but even before ralph bernard predicted it years before this guy is making moves to position AOL Time Warner as the provider of streaming services online. God knows what the world would look like if he'd been successful. The only problem with being a futurist is sometimes you're so focused on the future that you can see that you don't see the bit in between where you get there. And sometimes the bit in between where you end up in the future involves you not being part of it. Because stuff yeah. moves and you're not there. So, uh, well, yeah. Well, and part of this too was that he was worried that AOL was going to merge with AT&T, which mm. looking back on it, Time Warner should have merged with AT&T and it would have just well, blown it up. Much better move. Yeah. Yeah. That would have <laughs> been a huge company. It's, it's so weird, it's the benefit of hindsight. Um, I do feel that I have to give him points for stupid. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I feel... I'm kind of, I feel sad for this guy, but also I feel like he's probably doing okay. Like, oh, yeah. He had this huge tragedy in his life. And then his career fell apart, which I'm sure was like a second death to him because someone at that level, it, it feels like a part of you has failed. So, um, you know, I'm glad that he has been able to find an aspect of peace by helping his wife and this nice business that they've got going that sounds great. I'm really happy for that. And that makes me feel good about saying that some of his mistakes were really glaringly obvious. If you weren't an executive in the company that was making these like make or break decisions constantly, he should have known, okay, temperance is a good situation, a good thing to do at this moment because, okay, yes, the dot com bubble burst, but there were warning signs like two years before it burst. Oh, yeah. Shit was drying up very quickly and people who were watching the market knew it was coming and actually bet against a lot of these companies and ended up with Amazon stock for like a dollar and shit like that. So yeah, I, I feel like if he hadn't been probably in such an insular corporate environment, he would have seen it coming and also maybe built a significant structure where it didn't harm his company as much, but for his failure to spot this coming and also for getting in bed with, AOL when really they were they were the most the least diversified company 
that were worth that much money I think I've ever seen. They had one trick in their pony show, and that was it. Yeah. We can provide cheap internet for you. It's like, well, okay, but if you don't innovate, then you're going to lose out. But no, they didn't. So eventually they <laughs> lost out. I, I've got to go, I think, I'm going to go 75 for this. That, now, that's fair. Yeah, I feel like the worst CEO or one of the worst CEOs in American corporate history or whatever, is, I feel like that's that's a bit hyperbolic. I feel like uh, there are aspects of his career that override that because he made so many smart decisions. And also, while you can't give him all of the credit for the decisions because he was part of a board and a group of people that were making these decisions, you also can't give him 100% of the blame because he was part of a much larger corporate machine that was making this merger happen. So um, I think 75 is fair because if he had maybe used his smarts and his influence to not go for the AOL deal, you know, Time Warner would be huge now. And if they had merged with AT&T, like you say, they they would probably be a massive corporation now. Well, just think about this. If you would have had a little patience and let AOL merge with AT&T, drag their ass down and then picked them up cheap, (laughs) it changes the game. It does. And also, by doing that, he gets hold of a number of patents, which are going to be very important for the future of the streaming industry, which, you know, you're a, a media empire with a number of working parts if you happen to add um patents to streaming services into that as well you're set for life and you can retire on a golden nest egg i'm sure he's doing fine but you know um it's it's a sad situation i feel like maybe if his son hadn't died decisions would have gone differently but yeah that definitely influenced his mind i think i don't know why but i really feel like it did too Mm. but and honestly, I started into this based based on, you know, hyperbole, like you said. Mm. And then I was like, oh, this guy was a genius, kind he of. Was. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He, he had streaming services and, and uh, all of that figured out. He had yeah. high-speed internet figured out. Exactly. He knew it was coming. He just couldn't see the bits in between that would create that environment. And... That's a problem. One thing being a futurist is another thing being someone who can actually live in the moment and make that shit happen. Uh, so yeah, I feel I feel happy with a seventy-five for was it Lewin, Gerald Le- M. Levin or Levin? Levin. Levin. Okay, Gerald Levin, seventy-five. Um, I hope he's doing good. I hope in retirement he's doing all right. As far as I know, he's uh, eighty-three years old, alive and kicking, <laughs> and uh, that's a long ass life. Yeah, good for you, Gerald. We're, we're really happy. I actually feel like his life, because I know they're making a a film, well, they've made a film, about the uh, Nike Air Jordans. Um, oh, yeah, They've yeah, made yeah. a film about that. I feel like the AOL Time Warner merger would make for a really interesting film. It um, would. I think they stole a lot of elements from this guy's life for succession, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's... I mean, obviously, there's the, the ongoing influence of the Murdoch family, but, yeah, there's definitely aspects of the media empire that's desperately trying to merge with tech giants to keep themselves relevant. Yeah, that's... Who, which son was that? Maybe the son was based on him, kind of, Probably in a could way. be. Yeah, it could be the oldest son potentially because that was his baby that that deal. And he just crapped the bed and yeah, just okay. Ruined I see it now. Yeah, you see, <laughs> so many influences. Uh, also, by the way, Succession. Um, if you haven't, if you guys haven't watched it, it, might be the best TV show of the last five years. 
so good and also um coming up this season it's the final season i highly recommend you watch it there's going to be some really interesting stuff and i just i i could watch it all day just for kieran colkin and his ridiculous <laughs> oedipus complex that he never addresses it's so oh. funny it's, oh my god he's yeah that whole show is great but it is, it he's is. one of my favorite characters to hate yeah and feel bad for and I love know, all at yeah. the same time yeah, it's it's so sad. That that character's arc is so sad. He just desperately wants to fuck his mother. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so from your guy who achieved significant highs and plumbed even deeper lows, we're going to go to someone who claimed to have hit huge highs, but actually just continued to plumb the depths of delusion and like borderline evil. Oh. And it's one of the reasons I'm wearing this shirt. The shirt oh. says Death to Rockefeller, and it's related to the Monument Mythos thing I do voices for, and it's also something I did myself to demonstrate to Mr. Manticore, hey, you can you can make merchandise. It'll look great. Look, visually interesting. Um, <laughs> Death to Rockefeller. I'd like to introduce you now to Clark Rockefeller, the man with a thousand faces. In 1996, Clark Rockefeller married a successful businesswoman named Sandra Boss, who was seven years his junior. As Rockefeller was proud of boasting, he was a descendant of the famous Rockefeller family. But despite his connection to one of the richest families in the world, he didn't seem to have any access to the Rockefeller's wealth. Nor had Rockefeller ever held a steady job, bouncing around Wall Street from firm to firm, before becoming what he called a freelance banker, uh, working to solve third world debt. You can't be a freelance banker. You either work for a bank or you're unemployed. It's that simple. Um, so instead, Clark Rockefeller funded a lavish lifestyle entirely on his wife's income. He needed her money to buy his extensive art collection, antique cars and, la and hand-tailored suits because he didn't actually have any money of his own. And uh -huh. Yeah. And as the lies he constantly told mounted up, Boss began to suspect that she didn't know her husband at all. As it turns out, she was right, because her husband's name wasn't Clark Rockefeller. It was Christian Gerhardt's writer. I'm going to have to Whoa. make sure it's Swedish. That right. uh, it's, it's Bavarian. Yeah. Oh. That's like, yeah, I think it's. I, I, I'll get to where he's born in a second, but I just need to make okay. sure I get his name right. Gerhardt's writer. Yeah, Gerhardt's writer. Um, and he, he was hiding... Come on, what are you going to say? Anna Delveter. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he's the uh, he's the OG Anna Delvey. This guy is... I mean, we're talking talented Mr. Ripley levels of deception here. Ooh. For sure. And he was hiding a complicated and murderous past. The son of a bitch. Uh, sorry. <laughs> we get into character. That son of a bitch used the good name of Rockefeller for evil when I when all I've ever done has been for good. Mm. The Rockefellers have never done anything wrong <laughs> in human history. <laughs> ever. Ever. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Christian Hans Gerhardt's writer was born in the Bavarian town of Bergen, Germany, lovely place, in 1961. His father was an artist and his mother was a seamstress. Georgia, uh, what's this? Uh, whoa, he was a sugar baby. He was, <gasps> but probably not through. She wasn't like, I'm going to have this arrangement where you can be a kept man. He was just like, I'm not going to get a fucking job. 
Ah, forget <laughs> it. You can pay for everything. Oh, he was just a bum. Um, he was born in Bergen in 1961. His father was an artist and his mother was a seamstress. During his school years, he lived in a fantasy world and often got reprimanded for daydreaming and creating incredibly complex lies that he told to multiple people to influence their choices. Are you seeing an issue here? Sounds like he might have some sociopathic tendencies. Slightly off, isn't it? <laughs> uh, completely by chance, he got chatting to an American couple on train who, out of politeness, as people tend to do when they meet a stranger in a nice situation, you have a nice chat, you always end it on a nice note, don't you? And their nice note was, if you're ever in America, look us up. You know, okay. you say that. You say yeah. that when you're on holiday, you meet like a nice couple, and you're like, hey, if you're ever in town, let us know. We'll have a coffee. You know? Yeah, Something we like should that. do this again sometime. Yeah, we should do this again sometime. It's just politeness. <laughs> um, loads of people say that. They rarely mean it, but um, he made it his fucking mission to get to America and hang out with them. And oh, that's creepy. Yeah. At the age of 17, he left home and moved to the United States, telling the immigration authorities at JFK Airport that an American couple had offered to let him stay with them while he went to school in the US. That is not what happened, young man. Hmm. That's he he oh, oh hey. What's never this? mind. It was, there you go. I was happy. I've never about that. I've never done anything wrong, says the person who put a special tree in a plaza. Uh that wasn't me. I made somebody else do that. I just came up with the idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Savio family had no idea he was coming. And when he arrived at their door, he somehow convinced them to let him stay for months as a foreign exchange student. That's he moved into nuts. the house and was crashing on their couch. I just want to point out, this man is insane, but there is one thing he is really good at, and that is bullshit. This Seems man, like yeah, he is the fucking Stephen King of bullshit. This guy could weave a yarn that would in, that would like in, entrance anyone. I swear to God, the lies this man spins are so complex and interesting that you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. So I just like how he's, he got into the country by essentially doing that thing where you're like, hey, that guy said he was going to pay for our, our tab over there yeah. and then you wave. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> they, hey, dude, yeah. Like that over that. Yeah, I've done that before. Don't <laughs> Gerhardt's writer told his adoptive family that he was the son of European aristocrats because... Why would you fucking start like that? Jesus. Um, and his refusal to do even basic work around the house, including making breakfast for himself and doing his own laundry, quickly began to bother the Savios, according to Vanity Fair. He made it clear that living in this manner was beneath him. The author, Edward Savio, uh, the family's eldest son, said, we kicked him out. Smart fucking man. Yeah. Well, a random <laughs> dude just shows up. From like, you met him on a train, he just shows up and lives with you for months. Hello, as a... <laughs> I'm from European royalty. I'm going to live on your couch now. Make me breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, this is Christian Gerhardt's writer. He's been kicked out. And I've got to be honest, um, Edward, Sav Edward Savio has dodged the biggest fucking bullet here. And we'll get to that in a minute. Rather than return to Germany, he found more host families to live with. Who, uh, sorry, but Gerhardt's writer soon outgrew small town New England and had resolved two things to make his immigration status permanent and to head to California and become an actor. I mean, he's good at bullshitting, so it's like half the battle right there, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Mm. Maybe, God, he should have done it. 
Yeah. He should he, he should have been a huge success. In fact, <laughs> actually, he was such a convincing actor that he fooled real life people. Um, it's like Borat all over again. By 1980, <laughs> Gerhardt's writer has anglicized his name to Chris Gerhardt and found himself auditing classes at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. That's that's crazy. Um, so this is feeling like six degrees of separation ish. Oh yeah, there's there's going to be so many more like this. This guy is so interconnected to so many different things and has so many names it's kind of it's kind of scary so he's auditing classes at the university of wisconsin milwaukee there he met and married a woman named amy jerslid for a green card on february the 20th 1981 they both knew it was for a green card he wasn't like conning her or anything oh okay yeah within weeks of the wedding he was gone just fucked off just like bye now i'm going to be an actor uh, by the time he reached California, he was calling himself Christopher Chichester. Sometimes <laughs> I know he's come from Chris. Chris, let me start again. Christian Gerhardt's writer to Chris Gerhardt to Christopher Chichester. So this is like a thread, but this is three of about nine that we'll we'll come across. This is my favorite so far. Yeah, Christopher Chichester. Sometimes adding Mount Batten as a middle name to add to his pedigree, as in the Mountbattens who are part of the British royal family. Yeah, I am part of the British royal family. My name is Chichester. Why do you sound like you're from, like, Bavaria? No, I'm just part of the British royal family. Half of the German, that's fine. <laughs> and he handed out business cards that called himself the 13 Baronet, uh, complete with a fake family crest. And at this point, You've got to become suspicious when you hear the name Christopher Mountbatten Chichester, but the person using the name has a thick German accent. He's starting to sound a little bit like Hans Gruber from Die Hard, where he's like a little bit dressed like a businessman, but actually he's a fucking terrorist. So, yeah, <laughs> soon he managed to ingratiate himself into the tiny Los Angeles suburb of San Marino and found an elderly reclusive, reclusive woman named Didi Sohas to let him live with her. He even audited classes at the University of Southern California Film School and convinced a local television station to give him a public access show. It's amazing. Just give him a show. Yeah, fuck it. Just let him talk. He's good at bullshit. That'll fill some time. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, according to the New York Times. So this guy um, managed to show up to high society dinners. Like, he'd just show up in a tuxedo and walk in. He'd walk into country clubs, specifically the city club and other highbrow stuff. And no one batted an eyelid because he was so confident that he just walked in like he belonged there. And that's in the 80s and 90s. That was half the battle. We didn't have like scanners or, or key form entries or anything like that. Google. People would just show up like, no, I'm a member. I'm from England. Promise. Um, yeah. Confidence can get you a long way. He even got his own business card which read Christopher Chichester the Eighth, so he changed it from the baronet thing, and it featured the uh, the phony family crest, featured a liver bird on it, which was taken from and is the symbol for Liverpool Football Club. So he just put fake crest and then just a little liver bird at the top, and it's yeah, just people be yeah, photoshopping stuff onto it. Fuck it, yeah, just like he's it's again, it's a little bit of um, catch me if you can as well. But, There's yeah. a bit of that in there as well, like he's faking his way into all these positions of power. Um, however, people became a little suspicious when they saw him pull up in a piece of shit car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the car was filled with post-it notes on every possible service, surface. 
that had various aspects of his current identity written on them. So he didn't forget who he was meant to be at any one time. It's kind of like the film Memento, only with like shitty illuminous like posted notes instead of like tattoos on your arm and stuff like that. So and without the memory loss. He just needed yeah. it because he was so full of shit. He was doing it because he was like, I have so many identities, I need to keep track. Uh, <laughs> the situation quickly became more com- complicated when Didi Sohas's son John Sohas and his wife Linda moved in after they got married. Jonathan soon began asking questions about his mother's guest and the way he seemed to be using her money to buy expensive clothing for himself. Around this time, John and Linda found out that Christopher had borrowed had borrowed a chainsaw from a neighbor and never returned it. Fucking run. Run for the goddamn hills. Why does he have a chainsaw? I I've decided to do some garden work. Yes. Now cook me breakfast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then in 1985, Jonathan and Linda suddenly disappeared. Oh God. Yep. According to Gerhardt's writer, or whatever the fuck he was called at this point, they had been called away on urgent business to Europe in positions that he'd himself uh, he'd helped them find. And he was like, Oh, it's all mysterious work. You'll be doing you'll be working for an IT company, but you'll be doing analysis of foreign agents and so full of shit like this James mm. Bosser. So he set up these jobs so that they would have to leave, but they never arrived at their destination. Soon, Christopher Chichester disappeared as well. Christopher Mountbatten Chichester had told people he knew that some family members in England, uh, not Germany, had died, and he needed to take care of the funeral arrangements and manage the estate. He eventually turned up in Connecticut, where he tried to sell John (laughs) Sohas's car without registration under the name Christopher Crow. Oh, so now there he goes again. Name now. Yeah, it's Christopher, but now he's Crow, like Cameron Crow. Chris Crow. Um, yeah, Chris Crow. Oh, that works. Yeah, that is pretty good. You'd, you'd remember that. In Connecticut, Crow talked his way into a position as an, an executive at a brokerage firm, but he was fired after the company discovered that the social security number that he gave them actually belonged to convicted serial killer David Berkowitz, New York's son of Sam. Yeah. How, how do you get that? I have no fucking idea. I, I assume it must have been published or something in a book, or maybe he He's read about it in a paper. Maybe he was friends with him. But yeah, it was like, here's my social security number. You know they're gonna check that shit, man. They so yeah, and you ain't you ain't Chris you ain't what's his name? Berkowitz, David Berkowitz. He asked nicely. <laughs> That's how. Yeah, good point, Toasterzoid. That's how you do it. Yeah, can you and just I promise it's really me, it's not the murderer. Uh, that's probably the kind of thing you should also call the police about at this point. Like, this guy's giving you a fake social security number. Isn't that fraud? I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Well, yeah. They didn't do it. So... Just ran it again. Just like, uh, no, we can't hire you. Fuck off, because you're dodgy. (laughs) But we're not going to call the police on you. We're not that evil. Uh, So he also became a member of expensive yacht clubs and golf clubs, yet again, by telling people he was a producer from L.A. So Chris Mm -hmm. Crow... Um, was an actual working producer in LA at this time. He'd looked up the name of a producer on a specific TV show, took his name, and because it was the internet, there were no pictures around of like you could go on LinkedIn, look at Christopher Crow, and you see a picture or whatever it is. Right. This when is, was this again? So this is uh, 85? Oh, yeah. 86. 
have yeah. to go to like a library and look shit up on a microfiche. Microfiche, yeah. And you'd you'd have to spend hours doing that shit. So he could say to people, Yes, I'm Christopher Crow. I'm a producer from LA. And then all they have to do is like maybe he says, Oh, I've worked on this. And they someone, if they even wanted to check, would call up and say, Hey, do you have a producer working there called Christopher Crow? And they would say, yeah, that's that, yeah, we have a Christopher Crow here, and and that's it. You wouldn't like nobody would send a picture or a driver's license. You'd just be like, oh, he's telling the truth. Right. That's how dodgy it was back in the eighties. There, I mean, the internet and surveillance, while I hate it, does have some perks, like cutting down on this psychopath and these types of behaviors. Um, he managed to secure two other high-paying jobs before the discovery of a corpse. Thought to be so has in San Marino in 1994 led police to begin looking for Christopher Crow in connection with the murders. Uh, but by the time Christian Gerhardt's rider had been uh, already been living as Clark Rockefeller for two years at this point, he's now gone to New York. Okay. Where he's, yeah. So we're on. Were, were they chainsawed? Uh, yeah, they were in bags. Oh. We'll we'll get we'll get to it later. They some right. Here's here's the gross part. Someone bought this house because the old lady had eventually passed away, sold mm -hmm. the house, um, and they were like, oh, you know what? I'd be you know what this house is missing. It needs a pool. We need to put a pool in the back garden. And they started oh, digging, no. and then they're like, oh, that's a funny smell. And then they open the bag, and it's bits. Oh. Of, I know, yeah. That I won't go any more into it, but that's that's when they're like, oh, maybe we should find out who this fucking lodger who borrowed a chainsaw and never returned it, where he's gone. Um, so he's he's now in 1992. Christopher Christian Gerhardt Schreiter has reinvented himself again, claiming to be James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller. That's a fucking load of names. Holy man! Yeah, this is like, oh, just go big or go home. Yeah, give me all of the names uh, from a lesser known branch of the Rockefeller family using this identity Gerhardt's writer found that he could impress the wealthy upper class circles he moved in and in 1993 he met Sandra Boss at a cocktail party in New York City she quickly fell in love with the charming young Rockefeller he managed to bullshit his way into a securities firm around about this time as well but that didn't last long because people his colleagues and the people beneath him who didn't hire him, like the bosses who just listened to his bullshit, realized that he was really bad at his job and that he's actually just like walking around telling people what to do and telling them to get him breakfast and stuff like that. <laughs> um, he left that job to work with Kidder Peabody & Co., an investment banking company that was on its knees at the time after being bought out by General Electric in 1986 and lost money basically every year for six years. So Ouch. General Electric were like, make some fucking money or you're done. And at this point, they'd hire anyone who could promise them profit, no matter how unqualified they were. Um, it's telling that a year after they hire this fucker that the company is closed forever and just re bits of it are absorbed into um, General Electric. Over a decade of marriage, he spends time with, um, what was her name? Sorry, Sandra Boss. And they have a daughter together, but... Um, Clark Rockefeller becomes increasingly controlling and occasionally violent and oh. many people close to the couple began to question why none of the stories about his past added up in 2006 her, she'd had enough, his wife eventually hired a private detective to look into Rockefeller's background and when she discovered that he'd been lying for years about who he was boss filed for divorce 
But unbelievably so, Gerhardt's rider settled for eight hundred thousand dollars and a chance to avoid working for the court. Uh, sorry, working for the court, looking too hard into his real identity. So she offered him nearly a million dollars to just like look. You've got shit in your closet, and I, I, I don't care. But you know, because she hadn't uncovered everything, the private right. detective only covered like one or two identities. Yeah, no get, chainsaw bodies or anything. No yet. chainsaw bodies or from Bavaria or whatever. <clears throat> um, so she was like, "Look, just take the money. That's it. Divorce over." And you know, two thousand and six. You know, just before the financial crash, you get eight hundred thousand dollars. That's almost retirement money right there you know you get almost, yourself yeah. yeah you get yourself a decent little place you know maybe a two three bedroom place somewhere quiet you can kind of do odd jobs here and there and just have a nice peaceful quiet life for the rest of eternity if you're careful so yeah gosh yeah, yeah. if he waited and held on to it and didn't invest too much or lose it in the crash he could have really really became extra rich for real on his own exactly his own money. But, yeah and by the time the money comes through you know, we're talking about foreclosures on houses at record rates in the United States. So he could have had a really quite big house for peanuts at this time with eight hundred thousand dollars. He could have had, you know, something worth eight hundred thousand for probably about two hundred thousand from the bank at the time, and they'd oh, have yeah. gladly given it to him. So he could have lived large, but that's not what happened. Um, <laughs> everything in this man's life is a lie, journalist Mark Seal, who wrote a book on Gerhardt's writer, told NPR. The only thing real in his life was his love for his daughter. And when he lost his daughter in a bitter divorce, he began plotting how to get her back. After a court-supervised visit in Boston, Gerhardt's writer managed to shake off the social worker and abduct his own daughter. His ex-wife put on a televised appeal for her daughter's safe return, and she did all the usual things where she was like mentioning her daughter's name as often as possible and mentioning his name as often as possible to kind of humanize the situation and saying, calling her her princess and saying that she knew deep down that Clark was a good man and that this was probably just... I mean, like, it was really, really clever. He completely ignored the appeal and went on the run and just fucking disappeared off the map. Once oh, again, Gerhardt's writer changed his name and identity. This is the sixth or seventh time. Uh, this time to... This is the funniest one. A sea captain called Chip Smith. Um, he's a sea captain now? Yeah. He's Investment fucking, banker to sea he's, captain. He's Popeye now, all of a sudden. <laughs> um, and headed to an apartment in Baltimore. Um, a real estate agent saw him on TV, saw the appeal, and called the FBI and said that she just sold him a house. So luckily, the FBI managed to track him down. And according to NBC, they lured him out of the apartment by telling him uh, that his catamaran was sinking at the marina. So he bought a catamaran. Of course you do. Um, as soon as he left the apartment, <laughs> agents surrounded him and like tackled him to the ground. And uh, the FBI was um, he sorry when he was cl- interviewed by the FBI, he claimed he couldn't remember how many fake identities he had at that point, or even what they all were. It's very convenient that he can't remember some identities, really. Yeah. Well, to be fair, though, there was one that had like 15 names. Well, yeah, exactly. You know what, thinking about that, he probably had it. So if somebody called him one of those names, he go, oh, that's my 15th name, my middle name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like he's he's very careful. Like when they when the FBI started questioning him about like his time in L.A. and San Marino, 
he was like, oh, I can't really remember. I was just uh, had so many free breakfasts. I don't remember that time well. <laughs> but yeah, um, luckily his daughter was unharmed and she was returned to her mother. And she was just like, it wasn't one of those things where he w- he like didn't treat her well. Like he actually, she saw it as a holiday essentially with her dad. So okay. that just ended abruptly when he was like, hey, you, your boat's sinking. And then he disappears. Someone else comes in and goes, Hey, you know, we're going to take you back to your mom now. And she goes back. And so the trauma wasn't too bad, which is good, really, because yeah. I mean, that's an incredibly traumatic thing to go through. Oh, yeah, uh, what's, yeah. What's this? Was this guy the real life inspiration for the Master of Disguise? Um, <laughs> maybe at this point. Although was he's he ever not really, a turtle? Was he? Well, yeah, he might. He may well have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, initially, his defense tried to claim that he had become so delusional that he'd actually started to believe the lies he told about himself and that everything, including like the fact that he was related to Rockefellers and shit, was true. The jury did not buy that shit. Um, Christian Gerhardt's writer, a.k.a. Clark Rockefeller, a.k.a. about nine million other names, was given a seven-year prison sentence for the abduction. But shortly after the trial, police began building a case against him for the murder of Jonathan Sohas back in 1985. DNA technology had advanced to the point that the remains of the body could be identified as Jonathan Sohas. Linda has never been found. Oh, no. She's disappeared forever. So God knows what he's done with her body. But um, initially, people found it hard to believe that a weird controlling con man could escalate to murder so quickly and so early on in his life. But the borrowed chainsaw, the fact that um, around about the time that uh, Jonathan Sohas died, he told a neighbor that he was having the back garden dug up for renovation work so that he could plant the body, mm-hmm. didn't help his case. Neither did the fact that the body was found in a University of Wisconsin bag, you know, where Christian had studied and worked. Bloodstains were also found under the carpet of the guest house where he was staying on the property. In 2011, he was charged with murder. In 2013, Gerhardt's writer was given a life sentence in prison for murder, proving that not even a, a con man with incredible, with an incredible gift for deception like Gerhardt's writer can escape the truth forever. His appeal was denied on October the 23rd, 2015, and again on the 20th of January 2016, thus exhausting his state appeals. He still has um, federal appeals pending, but as of December 2016, the last time he was transferred from prisons, he was moved to San Quentin. Okay. That's so he's up to Northern California. Yeah, he's, <clears throat> uh, he's, he is not going to like life in San Quentin. I do not think that's a good place for him. Uh, so that's that's um, Christian Gerhardt's writer, a.k.a. Clark Rockefeller, a.k.a. Christopher Crowe, a.k.a. Fuck me, so many names. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Chichester. Um, that's my favorite still. <laughs> Christopher Mountbatten Chichester. That's fucking amazing. Although it's funny, I watched the documentary and, of course, um, the voiceover called it Chichester. I was like, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chichester. Um, so what do you make of... Mr. Gerhardt's writer. Well, first off, I'm disappointed that I, I didn't know Anna Delvey wasn't even original. Yes. Um, luckily, she didn't kill anybody, so that's cool. No, she didn't. She just stole a shitload of money. Whereas Honestly, this guy did that and murder. From the way <clears throat> that it kind of plays out, it almost seems like he's not like a serial killer. Obviously, no. he's the pathological liar, maybe. Oh, yeah. 
sociopathic tendencies. I would say so, yeah. I'm assuming because uh, it was like an escalation of some sort mm. that led to the murder, and then it was just a shit show for him after that. Yeah. Uh, God, what a psycho. Yeah. Hey, really? Hey, we should we should look look us up if you're ever in town. <laughs> Escalate. There it goes. The fucking all sorts of insanity. Just be careful if you when you meet people on holiday, be careful what you say because it could lead to murder and like abduction and con artistry of the highest order. I, I honestly when I heard this, it it felt it really did feel like the talented Mr. Ripley to a certain oh. extent, but um I just I can't because it was the 80s and 90s people did seem to get away with stuff more often because it's very hard to trace people DNA was still in its infancy there weren't really proper CCTV cameras or or monitoring and stuff like that and police departments didn't talk to one another so you wouldn't always have the kind of the cross border communication between authorities as you do now but this guy lived multiple fake lives con people out of so much money and killed some at least one person that we know of so it's it's a weird one because there are elements of comedy in it that would make for a really interesting film but at the same time he's a completely unsympathetic person yeah it would it would end up being like a uh what is it pain pain and gain yeah oh yeah type of because that's a really sad true story type of it thing is too. yeah um, but yeah i do still want to see this movie Oh yeah. I mean we sure. could skip the chainside cutty up. Yeah, part, maybe but... we we allude to it and yeah. someone just find we open the movie with someone digging up their back garden and find her bag and that's that's all we really need to know about that, you know. I okay, now as far as a rating goes for for this guy for mm. me, murders in there and Yeah. Just silly silliness yeah. with almost uh, like Acme level like stupidity, like Looney Tunes. Yeah. Kind of con cartoony. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a rich European monarch. Why is your car a hunk of shit? <laughs> no. Why is it so bad? If you're so rich, buy notes? a new one. <laughs> I you know what? I've got a picture of a car that's covered in post-it notes from back in the day. I'm gonna have to look that up and put mm. put that out to you soon. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was him. Maybe Drive, it was but the they were on the outside. The, sorry, what? I said, but they were on the outside. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think he was a little bit more like, I'll just put it all over the inside. Yes, that's that's (laughs) subtle. (laughs) Um, God, just the ridiculousness of it gets the higher score. Um, I'm gonna gonna go 82. I'll take 82. That's that's a really nice score. I I think Um, that seems fair because it's hilarious, ridiculous, and sad. It is, yeah. And this guy, I mean, obviously, he's still alive, he was only born in 1961, so. He's still a relatively youngish person. So there's a chance because he's been given life, but not like life without the opportunity for parole. So, right. I mean, if he lives long enough, he might actually get out, which I, d- I don't think he'll be old enough to do anything, any serious danger at that point if he's like 90 or whatever. But, you know, it's... he may be able to add two or three more names to the list. He could. Yeah, he'll come out <laughs> under a different alias. Yeah. Also, how do you release his belongings when he's coming out of prison? Like, which, if he says the wrong name, do they like, no, that's the wrong one. Sorry, you can't have this stuff. No, nah, you're just gonna have to leave naked. So uh, you know, <laughs> the scene they always hand over like one wristwatch, one 
you know, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, if he gives them the wrong name, he might not get that stuff back. So you're leaving in a paper jumpsuit with nothing in your hands. Yeah, he's Christopher a potato sack. Got some holes in it. Yeah, here's your business card. Maybe you can cover your nipples with that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the story of uh, Christian Gerhardt's writer, who has so many names that we're basically forgotten half of them. But also, he was a kind of con man that was not particularly good at conning because usually a con is for a successful con it has to have some sort of earning potential in there whereas this is just leeching off people and that's only ever going to last so long like even the nicest older lady is going to at some point say get a fucking job yeah you know? well to build a whole life and have a kid and that's that's crazy an impressive con i suppose i don't know i i, I guess it is but you know I, I mean some people will say that um you know, some marriages have that imbalance and maybe, you know, he provided her something like the companionship or something, but he became violent and controlling quite soon after. So it's it's very difficult to see what she got out of this. Maybe she felt she fell head over heels. But yeah, I guess once you've got a child, things change. But yeah, yeah. that's that's a guy who basically he found the ultimate con, which was leeching off his partner, which is terrible. So anyway, that's that's the Ridiculous life of Christian Chichester. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Christian Gerhardt's writer. Sorry, yeah, that's that's his life. And uh, the former um, chairman of AOL, Time Warner, or sorry, Time Warner, uh, Mr. Levin, who is it? George Levin, Gerald, Gerald Levin. No, there's a G in there somewhere. Gerald Levin. So I think of um, of those two. They're they're kind of really interesting. You've got one, which is a hugely influential figure in the history of society. And then somebody else who saw himself as a hugely influential society <laughs> member, but who, uh, again, I, I don't know what his end goal was there with that. Like, where are you? Are you just like, you want to cruise by in life forever? Like, that's, that's, you're never going to actually, you can't carry on doing that into your 80s. You know, you've got to have a retirement plan. My God. Well, you got to kind of figure he didn't have a plan. It no. was just living for the moment. Yeah, he was just that same kid that saw people on a train and was like, yeah, this is a good opportunity to become someone famous. So, yeah. That's why spontaneous people scare me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is why I like to plan everything. Like, I just, like, if the plan changes, that's fine, but at least I like to have a plan. If someone's like, we're going to the zoo, I'll be like, hold on. This is going to end in tragedy. <laughs> someone's going to get Ed eaten by a lion or some shit. So, oh. yeah. Um, so that, that's our, our show for this week. Relatively quick one, actually. But um, this story of um, Christian Gerhardt's writer, although it spans multiple decades, it's very much like um, multiple stops along the same journey. So I knew it was going to be relatively short because there's so much like detail in there, but it's not like a politician where you're going over the various career highlights because this guy's just moving from con to con. And actually, um, the guy at AOL Time Warner um the big one is the kind of the time warner merger mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah i skipped a lot in that story because there was so much good stuff that he did that it would make yeah. him look not like an idiot exactly which, i mean yeah. <laughs> kind of the point but no i, I feel like uh, he's one of our lower scoring idiots and you know for, for very specific reasons because he was an innovator but ultimately it was the the kind of the hubris of the um daring businessman that eventually brought him down and really not being able to see the signs. I, I was seeing something earlier on from someone who was one of the former hosts or the host of the Shark Tank TV show in the States, 
where he okay. was like, oh, they do that setup shot where they show their product and we see them walking towards the carpet. And you, what you don't see is that they have to stand there for four minutes so that we can get um, this establishing shot of the different products and of them and stuff. And he said, in that time, I just stare at them deeply. And I don't say anything. <laughs> I don't blink. I just stare at them. And I know immediately in that moment if they're going to be good business people or if they're going to be bad business people i'm thinking you're deliberately trying to fucking intimidate someone who's standing around for four minutes that's not fair that's <laughs> i that's just no tried way to do to it do to everybody watching you did i'm sure someone on youtube will pick up on that <laughs> anyway that's our show for this week so um i forgot to do the the bloody um social media stuff i forgot to do oh. our call to action at the start i need to get into the habit of doing that anyway in post I'll I'll do it in post. Also, I don't know if I can be fucking bothered, mate. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, Instagram, you can go and find us on at History's Greatest Idiots on Twitter. We are Greatest Idiots, and if you go to YouTube, you can find us um, on there as well. Just search for History's Greatest Idiots. We've got a number of subscribers now. It's wonderful. We're growing all the time. And uh, if you want to go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and support us with a little bit of Wonga, we will be ever grateful. I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much. Derek's been trying out his new um, setup as well. He's got a new microphone and a new background. If you're watching, let us know what you think of the background. If you're listening, let us know what you think of Derek's new microphone. It'd be really nice to get some feedback. And yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah, it would. I'll see you in. Uh, we'll, we'll see you in a, a couple of weeks. Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, Kimberly, Toasterzoid, and everyone who dropped by. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next time. Take care and have a great week.